You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. So the name Big Cypress doesn't so much come from the size of the trees, but the amount of cypress swamp that covers this area, probably two-thirds of this whole preserve is covered with cypress swamp. So that's kind of where we get the name Big Cypress National Preserve. So the Tamiami Trail, when it cut through here and was finished in 1928, that really opened this place up to people allowed people to come in and see what was here that they could profit from, and the cypress trees were one of those things. That was Lisa Andrews, Outreach and Education Coordinator at Big Cypress National Preserve, and I'm Misty Ridley-Little, your host for the podcast. For most Florida Trail through hikers their induction to the trail begins at Big Cypress National Preserve. It is considered one of the toughest segments of the Florida Trail, and hikers are at the mercy of water, whether it is too much or too little. Big Cypress and the Central Everglades was a region that I was very familiar with during my eight years living in Florida. I spent quite a bit of time working and playing in and around the preserve and adjacent natural areas, and it is one of my favorite spots to immerse myself in nature. But for so many hikers, they may not know exactly what the preserve has to offer and why it was protected to begin with. In this episode, park ranger Lisa Anders gives an introduction to the habitats found within the preserve, why it is considered a preserve and not a park within the National Park Service, and the history behind its preservation. And hopefully it will entice you to want to get out on the trails or explore off-trail within Big Cypress National Preserve, and hopefully persuade you to take in the wonders around you as you trek across the Florida Trail from the Oasis Visitor Center to the Seminole Reservation boundary. It doesn't take much to daydream about what an ecological nightmare that could have happened if this preserve had been developed back in the 1970s. All right, on to the episode. Well, thank you uh, for making all of this work uh, and uh, wanting to come on the podcast to talk about uh, Big Cypress National Preserve and appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do that. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Great. Great. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you could start with who you are and what your your job is at Big Cypress. Sure. Um, I'm Lisa Andrews. I'm a, a park ranger here at Big Cypress National Preserve in South Florida. I have been the education coordinator here for nearly 20, 22 years, I guess, in that position. And I worked here as a seasonal ranger here for about four years before that. So I've been here a long time. Wow, yes. <laughs> and um, so my main duties are to manage the education and outreach branch of uh, of the interpretive division here in Big Cypress. Okay, okay. So does that mean like giving tours or um, you mentioned when we were talking beforehand, uh, giving you know, speaking engagements, that sort of thing? That's right. Um, we developed um, an environmental education program here. This would be the 21st season for that particular program. And my staff and I um, work during the October through March winter season, school season, um, in that program, which is pretty busy. It is for sixth graders of Collier County, and we work very closely with the school district, and it's actually part of their uh, school science curriculum. Every every uh, public school participates, so nearly every kid in sixth grade in the public schools and three private schools um, come out for their field trip, which is also accompanied with a teacher guide and activities to do before and after, and we also do a school visit. And that's about 3,000 kids every year who get to experience the swamp, and they become little scientists 
for the day and record data, do all kinds of experiments. And so that's a very busy program. Um, we also do a lot of outreach uh, in the community by attending festivals and special events and judging science fairs and presenting interpretive programs to a variety of groups, either in a library or um, museum or in different communities. And then we also do programs out here in the preserve for organized special interest groups. So it could be um, another age group uh, from a school, anything from preschoolers through college. We do get a lot of college groups that come from all over Florida, but also from out of state to study the Everglades ecosystem. Road Scholar groups, um, Native Plant Society, Florida Humanities Council, all kinds of organized groups. And with those, we take them on a wet walk or maybe a canoe trip or a bike trip a variety of programs for those groups. And we do have other programs that go on in the preserve in the interpretive division. Our visitor services staff provide programs similar to those in the preserve for the general public. But we do all the organized groups. So okay. It's a lot. <laughs> Definitely sounds like a, a very fun and unique uh, position in the preserve for sure. You get to in- interact with a lot of people and share your love for the preserve too. That's right. And a lot of these groups already have an interest in this place and maybe a connection. And so it's a lot of fun to get them, get them here and get them out in the swamp and, you know, see their reactions. Right, right. Well, so maybe if to back up just a little bit, for people who aren't familiar with Big Cypress, maybe like describe where it's located and how can visitors access the park and go from there. Okay. Big Cypress National Preserve is a unit of the National Park Service. We are located in South Florida. We take up probably about three-fourths of Collier County. Collier Mm -hmm. County land size is the largest county in Florida. And the Big Cypress National Preserve takes up a huge area of that county. Um, We're located kind of halfway between Naples and Miami. And many people have been here, and they didn't even realize it, <clears throat> Excuse me, because the two roads that go from Naples to Miami, Highway 41 or the Tamiami Trail, runs right through the preserve, the southern part of the preserve, for about 30 miles. So if you've ever driven from Naples to Miami, and, and Misty, I know you have, you've driven right through the preserve. Yes. <laughs> and um, also, if you take I-75 or Alligator Alley from Naples across to the other coast, 30 miles of your trip is right through the preserve. And our western boundary is Highway 29. So if you're looking at a map, you can easily find us by those finding those highways. We are huge. We're 729,000 acres. And if you can't picture that, picture about 550,000 football fields. <laughs> that they would all fit in the preserve. So it's a huge wetland. Um, critical habitat for a lot of plant and animal species, and we were established back in 1974. So we're kind of young compared to a lot of other national park units across the country. We're pretty lucky here in Florida. We have 11 national park units, and I don't know, Misty, can I quiz you for a second and ask you how many national park units we have across the country? Oh, gosh. Let me give you a hint. I was going to say like in the 500s or something. (laughs) 
that's a little bit high, but not not too far off. Yeah, every state now has at least one park unit. Like I said, we have 11, so we're very lucky. And four of those are right down here in my backyard in South Florida. We now are up to 422 national park units. Okay. And you notice I keep saying units because we're all, many of us have a different name, like a preserve. There are also national seashores, national monuments and memorials, national battlefields, national historical parks, national parkways, a whole variety of designation for park units. And it kind of depends on what goes on there, what activities are allowed. Um, out of those 422 units, there are, uh, I believe we're up to 62 that are called parks, for example, Everglades National Park next door. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us have this other name, like preserve. And we were called a preserve because back in 1974 when we were established, we had a lot of traditional uses of the land already going on for years and years and years. For example, hunting. There were folks that owned private property within this area. And if they legally owned the uh, property, they could stay. If they didn't, we had over 600 what we call squatters camps, folks that didn't have the deed to their land and they had to leave. But if they legally owned their land, they were allowed to stay. They could sell it to a friend, pass it down through generations, or sell to the government. So private land ownership, off-road vehicle use, you know, it's pretty much a big swamp. So how do you get out to your cabin or camp or hunting area? So you would use an off-road vehicle, a swamp buggy, or an airboat, or UTV. We had oil and gas exploration and extraction already going on. That's been happening here since the 40s, so nothing new to us. And we don't own the uh, mineral rights. We only own the surface rights. So legally, we have to allow um, reasonable access by the the mineral rights owners to Mm -hmm. that. Right. Um, And we had, let's see, we used to have years ago, and when I was a kid, I would see cattle grazing along what was, before it was I-75, we used to have cattle leases within the preserve. Those have since expired. And I believe the last one is the traditional and customary uses by the Seminole and Miccosukee Tribe of Indians of Florida. So all those, all those uses, all those activities were already going on here. And the Park Service decided to make something new and create a place where you could continue those activities uh, with special monitoring and oversight by the Park Service. And so they had to call us something a little bit different um, because they were allowing those activities to, to carry on. Those activities don't take place in a place called a park. So they called us a preserve, which seems a little bit contradictory, you would think. Yeah. <laughs> more protected, (laughs) but it's actually preserving those traditional and customary uses of the land. And we became the first national preserve in the National Park Service in 1974. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for that because, um, you know, obviously when I came to work in South Florida, that was something I learned and it was completely new because you go out to this nice swamp and you're like, why did drilling for oil what is going on out here and then you realize okay there's all this history going back in 
to why this was created. And that's definitely a question I've seen raised before. Why are we drilling in the Everglades? And you've got to back up a little bit and realize there's a history of this. And, you know, when you're negotiating a lot of this, you go back and look at how some of these national parks were created um, back in the day. And they basically was just everybody get out (laughs) and we're making a park. So this was a different alternative because so many other people were already using the land. Let's make it make everybody happy and and as much as we can, <laughs> I guess you could say. So right. I can I can appreciate why the Park Service did that. Yeah, and that's that's why we're called a preserve, and that's kind of what went on. But the reason behind it was you may have heard that back in the '60s there was going to be an international airport. Yes, uh, going to be the biggest airport in the world placed right out here in the middle of all this between both coasts, between Naples and Miami. High-speed railways were going to be built out to it, and you can imagine uh, the development of this area. You can imagine the habitat loss, and people realized what that would mean to our watershed here. The water that flows through Big Cypress is coming from the northeast, kind of down in a southwesterly fashion, right through Big Cypress National Preserve, in a big sheet flow, uh, making its way southward very slowly to the estuary below in Everglades National Park. Um, and you'll see this a lot. There, there are only, I think, 19 national preserves right now, and they're usually connected or right next to um, a big national park and sort of act as a buffer zone. So we protect that water that's flowing down into the estuary below, this fresh rainwater mixing then in the estuary forming brackish water. And that is so critical that all those little aquatic critters down there get enough fresh, clean, healthy, pristine water to be able to survive. Things that we like to eat, like grouper and snapper and lobster and shrimp and all of those things that spend a portion of their life cycle uh, in the estuary really depend on this fresh water flowing to the south. But also, it becomes our drinking water. What doesn't flow south percolates down into the limestone, into the aquifer below, and becomes our drinking water over here on the the southwestern side in Naples, Marco, Everglades um, area. So it was very critical to protect that watershed. And you can imagine, you know, a huge international airport brings um, development cities, you know, just complete blockage of that water. This would have been all concrete from Miami to Naples across here. Yeah. And it would have been detrimental to the water flow and the endangered species and everything else out here. Right. So that's what really sparked the interest in getting this set aside there were a handful of people that pulled together, folks who loved to recreate out here, who hunted, fished, had camps, who coupled up with some political folks, politically connected people like Nathaniel Reed, uh, even Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was a part of this, Joe Browder, Franklin Adams, some people who really spearheaded this movement, and this handful of people pulled together and got this place saved and set aside as a national park unit. So it was pretty amazing. Yeah, yes. it's And, and it looks a fabulous today, and it's something that, you know, when you drive through 41 or I-75, you just can't imagine, you know, the subdivisions that would have been there had it not been preserved. Exactly. It would have been so devastating. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yep. So it's 
it's a pretty special place. <laughs> yes. So maybe we can talk a little bit about the big cypress meaning, you know, there are some big, you know, sized cypress out there, but you know, a lot of some of the park was logged back in the day. Um, yeah, just talk a little bit about the big cypress meaning and maybe some of the ecosystems. You've already talked a little bit about why the park is there and what it protects, but what else and ecosystems that the park is protecting? Absolutely. So the name Big Cypress doesn't so much come from the size of the trees, but the amount of cypress swamp that covers this area, probably two-thirds of this whole preserve is covered with cypress swamp. So that's kind of where we get the name Big Cypress National Preserve. So the Tamiami Trail, when it cut through here and was finished in 1928, that really opened this place up to people allowed people to come in and see what was here that they could profit from, and the cypress trees were one of those things. Um, we did have huge, old-growth cypress strands running through here, big, amazing trees. I wish I could pop back in time and just take a look and see what those big trees looked like back then. Pretty much all of those trees were logged, along with our uh, our native pine tree, the Florida slash pine, all the old growth uh, trees, but there are some still remaining deep in the swamp. So if you took a hike, say, south on what used to be part of the Florida Trail from Oasis down to the Loop Road, mm -hmm. uh, you cut through an area called Roberts Lake Strand, and you can still see some big old growth cypress tucked away back in there. Um, you also see some that maybe weren't as desirable uh, maybe the tops had been blown out, or maybe they split into three trees. So there still are quite large trees, and you can see the big old stumps from when they cut the trees. They they gathered this wood because it was so desirable for building. And in World War II, that was used in PT boats. Uh, it was used in a lot of the old homes here in South Florida, pickle barrels, church benches, a variety of things. This wood is very water-resistant, termite-resistant, lasts forever. In fact, you can still go down to an area of the preserve called the Gator Hook Trail, mm -hmm. and you'll be walking out, and all of a sudden you come across a bunch of the ties from the old railroad spurs that uh, took the men out to gather the, the big logs that they cut down, and those are still there because that wood lasts so long. But we had sawmills around the preserve. Uh, we had these little railways and trams, we call them, where they, they dug up dirt and piled it higher to make uh, a tram suitable for uh, a small rail, uh, for a small uh, engine to carry the big logs out. And can you imagine coming down here in those days in this wilderness, not knowing kind of what you're getting into and waiting yeah. into that deep water with those huge big hand saws and, um, you know, you didn't know if you were going to get eaten by an alligator or a snake or die from malaria or I don't know, yeah. all kinds of things. But, you know, the, the biggest cause of death was the falling of the trees. It wasn't all those other natural things, uh, but the trees coming down and bringing down all the branches from other trees and everything, killing folks. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, it opened this area up to a lot of those kinds of things. So if you visited Big Cypress, you would not be impressed by the huge old trees that were once here. You can see some large old growth trees still 
just down the road at Fakahatchee Strand Preserve State Park. Um, it was a protected area. And then up at Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary still has some really impressive, huge, big old cypress trees. Right, right. So what other flora and fauna is interesting that can be found within the park? I know it's such a huge area and a diversity of different species from, you know, north to south that changes quite a bit. But um, what could someone, I mean, a lot of people, they're, they come, maybe they're coming to Big Cypress for the first time. They're going to be like, what is all this stuff growing on trees? We have oh, all these yeah. epiphytes. So maybe yeah. a little, talk a little bit about that. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I've been here for so long. Like I said, like 26 years I started here. And people say all the time, why don't you go work at a Yellowstone or someplace like that? But this place never gets boring to me, and there's so much yet to do here. And the most interesting thing to me is the diversity of the habitats. And it all has to do with the change in elevation. And I know you're probably all saying, well, there is no change in elevation in South Florida. It's so flat. You don't have hills. You don't have mountains. But, you know, it only takes a few inches or a foot to drastically change the environment here. Our highest elevation here in the preserve is only about 18 feet above sea level, so hardly a hill. You wouldn't even know you went uphill if you were walking into this area. And those areas are called hardwood hammocks. They are high spots, very rich organic soils, lots of big Hardwood trees, that's where we find oaks and other hardwoods. Lots of vegetation that provides food and cover for a variety of wildlife at different times of the year. For example, in the hardwood hammocks in the fall when the oaks have the acorns, you might find the Florida black bear in there up in a tree munching away. Um, if you come down just a couple of inches, you see a drastic change in the landscape. You'll see, the, and you can see this by driving through Big Cypress, you'll be in the Pinelands. And the Pinelands have sandy soils, uh, very thin soils. You'll see limestone bedrock uh, sticking up through the soil. Um, we'll find our Florida slash pines and cabbage palms and saw palmettos in the understory. Plenty of food and cover, again, for for wildlife at different seasons. For example, that bear um, in the late summer might be in the pinelands munching on the salt palmetto berries. The pinelands, well, the, the hardwood hammocks stay high and dry. The pinelands may have a bit of water if we have a very wet season like we're having right now, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a few inches of water at the height of the rainy season, but for the most part, they stay dry uh, most of the year. If you come down a few more inches or a foot, now you're in those big open prairies, and you can really see those as you travel across the Tamiami Trail. Big, wide open grasslands, mostly sawgrass and other sedges and grasses and wildflowers at different times of the year. The soil in this area is a sticky clay-like marl that's very nutrient poor. It's very shallow soils. The limestone bedrock is just there underneath the surface, and it dries down for about half of the year, depending on how much rain we get in the summer. So for that reason, different plant types grow there. Uh, if you're a big oak tree that wants to stay high and dry and have a big root base, you wouldn't grow, go, grow well out in this prairie because of the nutrient-poor soils and the rock there. So you just find this big, vast prairie, which at one time, back in the 30s and 40s, were farmed. We had a lot of tomato farms and other vegetable yeah. crops out here yeah. in those open prairies. Come down a few more inches, you're in the cypress, my favorite. 
You can count on being wet in the Cypress probably about nine months out of the year. This year, we might be wet all year. (laughs) (laughs) Those Cypress love that uh, watery environment. They grow best when they have a long hydro period. You find rich, deep, loose peat soil in the Cypress. And uh, so if you get in the middle of a cypress strand or dome, you really find some nice, big, shady cypress trees. We also then have down along our southern boundary the mangrove estuary. So a lot of uh, mangrove forests found to our south. Um, So those are our five major habitats. And I think that's really interesting because if I get bored in a cypress strand, I can just walk right over through a prairie <laughs> and into a pine land and see different wildlife and um, different plant life. And so that keeps it exciting for me. But it also lends itself to the great amount of biodiversity here with plant and animal life. It's just incredible. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and people can see that when they visit. You know, if you take a hike through Big Cypress on the Florida Trail or some of the other areas, um, or if you take a drive, say, up Turner River Road, I like to to go up Turner River around the upper Wagon Wheel Road area, and you can just look out across and see these big prairies dotted with some little hammocks and some pinelands over there and some cypress domes over there, and you can really clearly see those different habitats. Right, right. Well, you mentioned the Florida black bear. What other, you know, big wildlife is there a chance of seeing? I know not everybody's going to actually be able to see every wildlife because they're not in the right habitat, but what are some of the highlights that uh, the park also is protecting uh, wildlife-wise? Well, um, probably our iconic creature is the Florida panther, and we have a, a large part of the population, probably the biggest chunk of the population living right here in Big Cypress. They're calling this area their home range, and as you know, Florida panther is one our most endangered species in Florida. We do have a panther uh, monitoring program within Big Cypress, and then the state FWC monitors all the other cats. Um, And this has been going on for probably nearly 40 years now. You know, at one time they thought there were less than 30 cats, and now we probably have 40 or 50 of those cats just right here in our area, probably about 150 to 250, the state estimates, um, cats living in South Florida. If you drive through Big Cypress, you could see a Florida panther. I've almost hit about three on the road, so you need to to really observe those panther areas and be alert when you're you're going through wildlife. But, um, of course, they hunt more at dawn and dusk, but the ones I've seen have been right in the middle of the day. And they are amazing. Um, I've seen several out here. Not many people get to see them. Usually they're hanging out somewhere secluded in a, a, a nice pine forest in the in the Southall Meadows, hunkered down during the daytime. But once in a while, you'll get lucky. Yep. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it seems like many of us have worked here for years and years and years, and, and so many have never seen a panther. And we'll get uh, somebody who's visiting from out of state or even out of country, and they take a drive through the preserve, and they come in with a picture of a panther they saw. <laughs> they're only here for, you know, two hours, and they're the ones that get to see it. But how exciting. Um, right. So we have our other, only other cat that's native here is the bobcat. So we see bobcats now and then, um, a whole variety of small game, like, you know, raccoons and 
big cypress fox squirrels and yes. other small mammals, and then such a variety of birds. And people come here from all over the world to see the, uh, especially the wading birds when the water is drying down. Um, probably January, February is the best time to see all those birds in there when the water's just right for feeding. Gosh, the photographers and the birders really flock here. <laughs> yeah. And, and just a whole variety of uh, reptiles and amphibians and insects. It's really amazing. Right. So you mentioned a couple of the trails that people can see and a couple of roads, but maybe we could talk a little bit about some of those because I think so many of the people who are coming to Big Cypress probably aren't going to be on the Florida Trail, but uh, you know, that does cross the preserve and gives you a nice slice of what's there. But maybe they're going to, you know, have a few hours, like you mentioned. Where where would you recommend or, that they go, to, you know, on a trail or take one of these scenic drives? Right. Well, you mentioned the Florida Trail. 30 miles of it does run through Big Cypress National Preserve and then on up through the state. And it is a marked trail, of course, with the orange blazes. But like you said, a lot of people don't have time to do that. You know, people think of coming here, they don't really think about hiking once they realize there's all this water out there. But that's kind of just what we do here, wet walks. You're, you have to expect you're going to be walking and slogging through water, mud. And so it's a very different way of hiking for a lot of people. And so a lot of people either, like you said, don't have the time or they don't expect the water and they're worried and scared because we have alligators and snakes. But there, <laughs> there are some, some nice areas to go, a really safe spot, and one where you can keep your feet dry all year is our Kirby Storter Boardwalk. And that is, I want to say it's about 12 miles east of Highway 29, right on Highway 41. There's a big brown sign that says Kirby Storter Wayside. It doesn't say boardwalk, but there is a beautiful boardwalk there that goes out into a cypress strand. So if you didn't have a lot of time or you need somewhere that's more accessible, that's a great little spot to get a taste of what the inside of a cypress strand looks like. The Fire Prairie Trail is up on the Turner River Road. That's a nice hike. And any of our off-road vehicle trails, and you can go on our website and see a map of those or pick up a map of the preserve. Our regular map we hand to visitors has the off-road vehicle trails on it. And you can hike and bike if you have a fat tire bike, any of those trails. But, you know, what I find fun to do is just if I'm going down 41 or one of our side roads and I look out and see something that's just it just looks interesting, it's kind of calling my name, you don't have to be on a trail. You can just get out and hike into that cypress dome or that pine land. Again, a lot of people won't do that on their own, so that's why going with a ranger makes it kind of nice, at least for their first time, so they can kind of get rid of some of those fears and see that they're not going to be eaten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, there's so much to explore out here, and I, I, I hope that more people will come out and enjoy and appreciate it. You can't possibly appreciate it by just driving across this highway at 60 or 70 miles an hour. You absolutely need to get into it and feel it and smell it and see all those little things that make this place so special. Yes. So. 
Yes. My favorite thing is, like you said, just getting out and going to a cypress dome, you know, both in the wet and the dry season, because it's a completely different experience in each of them. And Mm -hmm. just walking around and, you know, looking at all the different bromeliads and orchids that are growing on the trees and just taking in the way the light falls in those little areas. It's just, you know, it's one of my favorite things to do. And I wish more people could get out there and enjoy it, maybe start in the dry season first (laughs) before you want to go wading in some water. But uh, I'm glad. um, And that's another thing is a lot of people aren't sure if they can stay on trails. So I appreciate that you said, hey, you can go any anywhere in the preserve. Exactly. And, you know, we've been talking about cypress domes. I don't know if folks know the difference between a cypress strand and a cypress dome. The uh, strands are just a, a, a large sand of, of cypress trees, but they grow in this long strand-like formation. The water that's flowing down through Big Cypress is slightly acidic and it's carving these little creeks or rivulets into the limestone on its journey down to the to the estuary below and makes these little creeks and like I said cypress like to grow in water so you'll be driving along on the Tamami Trail and all of a sudden in front of you see this big wall of cypress trees and before you know it you're past it it's just this long narrow strand of trees heading to the south and within those or out in the middle of the prairies on their own are what we call cypress domes and a lot of people will drive through Big Cypress and say, oh, look, they do have hills here. There's all these little boxes <laughs> landscape. It's just the opposite. It's a depression or a sinkhole, actually, in the limestone. Um, they're, like, almost perfectly round. It's almost like a little pond. And, of course, those taller trees are growing in the middle there where they have the deeper, rich peat soil and more water. And out to the edges of that pond, if you will. It's more shallow, and you're getting out into that nutrient-poor soil in the prairies, and the trees get smaller and smaller just because of their growing conditions. And so it forms this dome shape to the cypress trees. And like you said, it's really exciting to get out and go into one of those domes where you see all those bromeliads and orchids. The aquatic plants are incredible and the bird life in those domes, and the water's cooler because it's shaded. And, you know, people say we don't have seasons down here. One of the fun things about the, uh, the cypress is they are deciduous. They, they're losing their needles now. Uh, in the fall, they start turning kind of golden and brown and start falling off in the winter about this time. And then in the spring, they leaf back out with that new growth that's just like Spring green, if you can think of your Crayola color crayons, the spring Mm -hmm. green. Oh, my gosh, the canopy is beautiful against the blue sky. And then in the summer, things get a little darker emerald green, and um, every season it changes. But they're just little subtle subtle changes, not like the amazing uh, fall foliage up in the northeast or something. But it really is um, beautiful. But those cypress domes are really spectacular to get into. Right. So maybe somebody lives in South Florida. Is there any kind of volunteering opportunities? What if they want to spend more time getting to know Big Cypress? What can they do? Absolutely. We have um, opportunities for volunteers in just about every division. Here in Big Cypress, we're divided up into the Division of Interpretation. That's where I fall. 
And that's um, not interpreting a language, it's interpreting the environment, taking what the scientists are finding out and putting it into a language that most folks can understand and relate to and connect with. Um, so that's what interpretation is. And so we have volunteers that help us. For example, I have four volunteers that help with our education program, um, working with the kids. We have volunteers that work in our resource management division. We have some volunteers that are helping catch uh, pythons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doing the python work. Um, right. And helping out in the panther program and helping out with invasive plant species re removal and um, a variety of volunteer positions in resource management. And we have a huge maintenance division, and we get a lot of volunteers to work in there, people that have maybe retired and come here in their RVs and stay with us for the winter, but they have a, a lifetime of experience in as an electrician or a carpenter or a mechanic or something like that, help out in the maintenance division. Um, we have campgrounds that we have campground hosts and other volunteers that help take care of the campgrounds. Let's see, we have a law enforcement division, and we have folks who help out in that division. We have a huge administrative division. So, of course, we have everything from the budget office to HR to, you know, everything yeah. else. And we use a lot of um, volunteers there. And in our visitor centers, too, helping to give out information to, to folks traveling through here. So a lot of volunteer opportunities. We would like to have more local volunteers. It's I know it's 30 minutes away from Naples, but it's a beautiful drive and easy. So, and we do get some local volunteers. But we mostly get volunteers who travel in their RVs. They'll come south for the winter to a park and then maybe head out to Zion or Bryce or somewhere like that for the summer. And we have areas where they can park and have full hookups for their RVs in the winter. So that's a really neat thing to do. Yeah, yeah, and that's my my goal in retirement someday, to be one of those campground hosts at different parks and just travel around. It's, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it would be great. I mean, what a great way to see the country and yeah. experience all of those amazing parks and just live there and get all the behind the scenes and what a what a great thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you have other things to do on your agenda for the day, but maybe if you have any fi more final thoughts about Big Cypress you'd like to share, any tidbits over your 25 years of working in the park that uh, you'd like to share and just entice more people to get out and explore Big Cypress. Well, uh, another another thing that I wanted to tell you about was we have become an international dark sky park. Um, it's a huge designation through the International Dark Sky Association, and we've had that designation for the last five years. If you come out, you know, everybody thinks, well, you've got to go out there in the daytime. The sky at night out here is truly amazing, and if you live near a city or on either coast here in Florida, you've probably never seen the Milky Way, and you can see it out here. And if you go out in the preserve at night, it, you look up and the it's this, when the sky is very clear, it almost looks like you could reach out and grab the stars. It's like 3D. It's truly amazing. And we do put on night sky programs this year, a little bit different. We may go ahead with our night sky programs and do them virtually, but we're not quite sure yet. We usually have one in December, January, February, and March, and mm -hmm. those are listed on our website. Um, right now we haven't come to a decision because 
We've had as many as 650 people show up for our night sky program. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So that's going to look a little different this year. But there's just so much to see out here. And it's not like you're driving through Yellowstone and a a bison walks up and snorts in your window and the geyser goes off. (laughs) It's not in your face. It's Like I said before, it's very subtle. And you really have to get into it and learn more about it to appreciate it. But I just think it's the most special place on Earth. I've visited many, many parks across the country and worked in five others. And I just can't tell you how amazing and beautiful this place is. But folks can find out more about us on our website. It's www.nps, for National Park Service, slash B-I-C-Y, which stands for Big Cypress, or just, um, you know, Google Big Cypress National Preserve. And you can follow us on our Facebook page as well. So, yeah, come out and see it. Yes, I just... You're talking about it all, and it's making me miss it so much because I spent so much time out there, and I I love that part, too. So I I get it. (laughs) Well, thank you, Lisa, for taking your time to share the love about Big Cypress and get a little bit more information out to Florida Trail hikers. I hope that they get a little bit more of a sense of what Big Cypress is as they're hiking through it, and it's not just so intimidating. That's where most people start is in the south, in Big Cypress, on the Florida Trail, and they they know about the water, they know about the mud, and it can be very intimidating. And I think a and lot of people... Are, yes, very yes. challenging. And people focus on that, and they don't necessarily get to enjoy it for what it is, per se. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hopefully this will make them a little less scared and anxious and uh, enjoy it a little bit differently. So I appreciate Fantastic. it. I hope so. Great. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. That's it for this introduction to Big Cypress, and I hope everyone learned a little something about the park, and maybe it'll entice you to explore this park deeper. There really is so much to explore in those many thousands of acres. You can find the show notes for the podcast at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com, and the podcast is on Instagram as orangeblazepodcast, and Facebook as official orangeblazepodcast. Until next time, happy hiking! And if you're starting your through hike this month, best of luck, and I hope to see your completion photos at Fort Pickens or Big Cypress soon.